0: It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Welcome back for another episode of Challenges That Change Us. I know the last two weeks have been really huge for many of you and you may have needed to skip an episode or two due to personal circumstances and I love that you can do that. I haven't had any feedback yet on the resources that I put up in the Facebook group in the guide section. So just let me know if this is the kind of information and resources that are helpful. And my intention would be to keep adding to this library as we go. Also, crazy response to the free personality and performance masterclass. The 6.30 p.m. session is nearly full. So if you missed out, jump on the show notes or in the Facebook group and check it out. We are offering a free 90-minute masterclass on how to unpack the behaviours of yourself and others without getting frustrated every time someone does it differently to you, even if it doesn't make sense in your head. It is for anyone looking to understand what makes them tick and unpack what drives and motivates people around them. So if you're a CEO, a leader, a business owner, and you want to nail your communication with your team or anyone really just wanting to build their communication framework, both professionally and personally. So jump on the show notes or the Facebook group for more information. Okay, down to business. As I said, the last two weeks have been huge episodes and coming into spring. Well, for us Aussies, it's coming into spring. A lot of people start to think about getting their bodies moving again. More often than not, the thought of running crosses through people's minds. So I've reached out to our physio and invited her on to talk about the challenges that new runners face. This episode will be great for anyone interested in running or understanding the load principle in fitness. Some of you may not actually realize that I own a couple of businesses, a fitness business, a yoga studio, this podcast, and a national wellbeing and performance company called Try Altitude Performance. Dave Ballard up at the Brisbane Broncos and I founded this company and we have recruited the best Of the best. Andy Bishop is our physio and she talks about all things movement and body. I will be bringing different members of the team onto this podcast at different stages so that they can talk to you about challenges that they see in their everyday work. But today we specifically talk about what to consider when heading out for a one, five, or 10K run. What does it mean in industry when we throw around the term loading? We talk about understanding training plans, common mistakes that both Andy and I see, and also tips for your recovery. The aim is that after listening to this episode, you'll feel more confident and ready to set yourself up for success this spring in your training. Andy has over 10 years experience as a physiotherapist. She has a master's and is a dual titled APA sports and exercise physiotherapist and musculoskeletal physiotherapist. She has extensive experience working with a variety of sports with athletes from grassroots right up to international level. Recently, she's worked with Touch Football Australia, Netball New South Wales and Queensland Water Polo. So it's time for me to stop doing all the talking and introduce you to this legendary superstar. I hope you really enjoy the change of pace in this episode. So I'd like to welcome Andy to the chat today. I've known Andy for an, almost a couple of decades in the professional and personal space, and I love working beside you and working with you in try out performance. So welcome to the podcast, Andy. Hi, thank you for having me. And I like to start, our audience will know this, but I like to start with asking you, if you were to describe an animal that best suits your personality, which animal would it be and why? <laughs>
1: When you sent me these questions, I just was like, oh, God, because I have really struggled trying to find an answer to this for the last few days, and um, I'm sorry, I'm still stumped. (laughs)
0: good thing I've been thinking about it as well and I was a bit the same like I was like would you be a big cat or a horse but I actually the animal that comes to mind for me is an owl and I think about a white owl and I don't know why white but that's the one that comes to mind like a really fluffy white owl and the reason why I say that is because you're actually quite introverted and quiet when people don't know you very well but as they get to know you, you're a lot more chatty and you're really outgoing, but that introversion still runs really deep. But the reason why I say owl is because I also think you are really wise and really perceptive. It's one of the things i admire mind most in the professional world about you is that you have the ability to think about a problem from a 360 view. You know how the owls turn their heads and they can almost go 360 all the way around? That's what I think about you when I think about how you work with your patients and clients.
1: Right quite a creepy little exorcist view. But <laughs> <I'll take it. laughs>
0: well, we can, we can work on a name for an hour a little bit later on. The other question that I often ask is, did you have a favorite room when you were growing up in your house?
1: Look, I, I think favorite versus the first thing that came to mind was the living room. And I think that's just purely because I come from a fairly big family and one of four kids and my parents were shift workers and so I think that was just the hub of activity in our house and where you know if mum or dad was only home for half an hour it was always there that you're going to catch them walking in the door or whatnot so I think yeah that's the room of Connectiveness. But I'm sure if you asked this question when I was like 14 or 15, it would be my bedroom with the door shut. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, generally, I, I would say the living room.
0: Yeah. And with the living room, did you have a TV in there or was it like a kitchen and then a lounge room?
1: No, it was it was just a TV. So we didn't have an open plan house. It was a, a shut-off living room with a fireplace. And I grew up in Southern Highlands in cooler climates, so... So I was always going and dad is a bit of a pyromaniac so you know it would be closely attended to.
0: <laughs> and Annie, what what got you into physio like that's been where you it's sort of taken you in the last sort of 10 to 15 years where did that all start?
1: So looking back in my higher school years I was definitely interested in applied science and PDHPE and I really enjoyed the improving performance aspect. So I actually started off with exercise science, and it wasn't long into my first year of exercise science where I was like, right, I don't know what my job security is going to be like after this. But also, I really enjoyed the anatomy subjects um, and that physiology. And I still, you know, I still had the marks to get into physio. So it was just a natural change. So I think my my physio career actually started off as an interest that then evolved more into a love um, mm-hmm. or a passion. So it wasn't wasn't something I was always set on, it was more the themes of physio I was interested in and then it kind of evolved from there.
0: Yeah. Had you been to a physio, like, cause you're quite sporty. So during school, is that someone that you'd visited regularly? Or... No,
1: ironically not. I mean, I was fairly injured growing up as you as would know I don't have great ankles after lots of years of netball and basketball but financially it just wasn't an option for us and maybe subconsciously that was also why I wanted to head down that path is to it wasn't something I had access to growing mm. up but it was something I definitely would have benefited from Um, and so a lot of injury management was self-taught or you know learnt off other people over the years and in that sporting world but yeah I think personally it it kind of developed with a bit of that subconscious bias too I think. And what do you
0: love about being a physio?
1: Number one I really like working with people of all aspects of life, the weekend warriors through to the elite athletes. I enjoy what drives and motivates them and being part of their goal setting and their journey in achieving those goals. So that is a big part of what I love about my job. I also love problem solving. So that initial Mm. appointment where I really want to nut out what is going on, how is this happening, what's driving um, the injury or impairment, the reason why someone's seeing me. It's Yeah, those two fundamental things.
0: It's the owl. It's the 360 view of the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Told
1: you. Definitely an owl. (laughs) What have been some of your career highlights? So, yeah, some of uh, one, the people that I have gotten to work with, including elite athletes in netball, swimming, running, rugby.
0: When you say elite, do you mean like on a state level or what do you mean? Both. So
1: in netball, swimming, running, rugby, I've worked with national, some have even been international capped athletes and then state and community sport too has been a big part of my life. So, And they all have their challenges and they all have their perks, so working with your community athletes can be just as rewarding as the elite athletes in my opinion
0: and do you see similar
1: like problems come through the door yes and no so you'll see I'll see trends which I will probably talk a bit further on about today yeah you do see trends so overuse can be a big problem in both worlds and whether that can be due to competition demands in the elite athlete and the timing of competition so You know, a runner might have a season where they have a lot of events on and then a fairly long off season. And so Mm. it's that increase. Whereas, and you'll see a similar injury in the general community with someone who's just taken up running, who goes too hard, too quick. And so, whilst their physiology may be a little bit different, the injury itself might be a bit the same because of those, the underlying cause of the injury.
0: Yeah. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about today, Andy. This this podcast in particular, I really want to talk about someone that's sitting at home, they haven't been a runner, they might have played sport and they're, you know, they're in their 30s or 40s and they want to go out and they want to start running. And one of the really common trends that I see is, That people go, right, I want to be a runner and they go out and they start running every day on the same track at the same pace and then within a month or a couple of months, they're straight into a physio with an injury or they have an injury and a niggle and they don't even realize it's an injury and then they keep training on it until it gets worse, which makes the rehab often a lot longer than what it could have been if they came in a bit earlier Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about someone that's sitting on the couch thinking that they want to start running, what are some of the challenges that you would see new runners facing?
1: Okay, so if someone is fresh, like fresh, fresh to running, I think first of all it would be worthwhile to just think about what's the goal here, like what is driving this moment, this motivation to to take up running. Is it weight loss? Is it I want to compete in the city to surf? Is it my friend's it's trying to lose 10 kilos and I want to support them or is it a health scare that has kicked them into gear in their 50s so what is Mm. that that motivation to begin with because someone who's 18 and taking up running is going to have a very different journey to someone who's 50 and taking up running so I think knowing a bit of that background first of all is important and what motivates them. I think it also,
0: when you talk about that, the reason why it's important to think about what motivates you as well is that you can help set yourself up for success in that area too. So, if you know that you want to run the city to surf, that's an event on a certain day. So, you could go and get a training plan for that. But if you're running to be social and you want to run with your friends, then it's a different training plan we would give you because- yeah, you, you'll be going out and they might already be running 5Ks and how do we start to load you? Because that's, that's, the loading problem is definitely something that I see that is a huge problem for people beginning.
1: Yes, and if, if it's not a problem now, unfortunately it's going to be a problem later on and that is often when, as a physiotherapist, that's when I see people where something has gone wrong and it might be four months into their running program, it might be four weeks or it might be four days. Um, and so it's just having that bit of, Yeah, education, but also understanding your goal to help you formulate a plan to be successful to prevent injury as well as achieve those goals that you want. And
0: can you describe when we talk about the word load, like you and I throw that word around like it's our everyday language, but for someone out there, they may not even know what that means.
1: Mm. So... training load, a good way to think about it is it's basically your overall workload. So it's how hard your body is working and the demands that you impose on it. So that's not only what we call external load, which is probably the quantities we always think about, whether it be pace or distance or number of runs you've done per week. So that's that's what we would call your external load, but it also factors in your internal load, so how tired you are. Like the internal load is factors you can't change essentially. A good way of thinking about it is how hard does that make it feel? So we've all, well, those who have, run or even gone for a long walk you might find one day walking 5k feels super easy but you do the exact same walk a week later and suddenly it's a lot harder and nothing else has changed you do it in the exact same time frame but why does it suddenly feel harder and that's generally that internal loading that is the difference. So it comes down to fatigue and mental health, like if you're just having a flat day, hydration, nutrition, things like that. So load is all encompassing. So it's all those factors that are imposed on us. I
0: was only talking to someone about this last week around why does one run feel so great and then the next run feels so awful. Like it can just feel like you're pushing uphill the whole way. And that's a really good way to think about it is what are the other factors that could be playing a role in this?
1: Yeah, and then, you know, I don't want to delve too deep into this, but just chatting as females too, then you've got that whole other hormonal matrix that mm. then comes into play too or based on what's going on in, in your monthly cycle and or if you're pubescent, are you having a spike in testosterone one way, you can things like that. So, mm. yeah, there's a, internal load is some of the factors we can't necessarily control and it's that those internal factors that make the exercise load feel easier or harder to sum it up in a non-scientific
0: way (laughs) yeah yeah no this is this is really good because these are the conversations that often aren't spoken about until someone's out there running 5ks building to a 10k or a 21k plan and it's like in that moment is when I get a lot of phone calls at the gym saying oh I'm doing an event and now I want to plan but I very rarely get the phone call when someone's sitting on the couch and they're like I want to be a runner like that it's like they go out and give it a go themselves first. So if in this podcast, if, if people can take away one, two or three things that they can use or apply to their situation, then it's worth having the conversation. Yeah. When you talk about external load, can we just break that down a little bit? So what we mean when we talk about external load is a number of different factors. So let's talk about each factor. Yeah.
1: So it's essentially, it's the amount of physical work you're performing. So it can be quantified with variables such as the distance. So for example, if we're talking about running, that would be, let's pick a 5k speed or pace. So if you're running five minute kilometers, you would do those 5ks in 25 minutes the number of runs you've done or if you're a netballer, how many shots you've done at post in one training session or... Or if you're a swimmer, how many laps you've done. So that can be another example of loading or... The terrain, like whether you're running on grass or running on... Terrain can play into it too. There's different ground reaction forces for bitumen road versus grass versus sand versus the treadmill. So they're all different factors that play into that effort.
0: And when you say sand, grass, treadmill, is there one of those that is less load? Like how do people think about this when they're thinking about their training plan? Is it that variety will help decrease the risk of injury as long as you're increasing the load at a rate that's right for your body or is it- Grass, if, you, if you've got an option to run on grass, choose grass. Like how do we talk to our clients about that?
1: Yes, yeah, so grass will be softer than road. And then if you're coming back from injury, your um, health professional may have even recommended starting running in, in water, for example, because that eliminates you know most of the ground reaction forces. But then without getting too tricky, ground reaction forces, speed also plays into ground reaction forces. So if you're running really fast on grass, you might still have the same force as running slow on concrete, so mm. it, it it does get a bit tricky. But if we're just talking to the general population and the beginner, you've, you know, you're 40 years old and you've got netball knees, but you still really want to run. A good place to start would be on grass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And I often say to my crew, you know, also try and change it up. Don't run the same track, the same way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Our muscles, tissues, tendons, they're a dynamic tissue essentially. So they will adapt under the load you impose. And if you keep imposing the exact same load, so as you say, if you're running the same track, running the same way, on the same surface, et cetera, your tissues are just going to get used to that and they're not going to adapt and change, which means they're not going to be as resilient Mm. when that load is changed. So changing up those training factors, whether it be even if you're limited in where you can run due to safety, whether it be poor lighting and things like that, as you say, at least running in the opposite direction. Mm is is going to mix up that change, make it a bit more variable to build that resilience in your in your tissues. So it's finding that balance. It's
0: having enough stimulus and change without overloading it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And one of the the research constantly changes. So you know we mm. might say it today and then in 10 years it might be different. But at the moment, my understanding is for a general rule of thumb for a beginner, you only want to increase your load 10 to 15% each week, give and take, depending on the athlete, as we're saying. But for for a rule of thumb, if someone's starting, that's a good kind of guide frame, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah. Ironically. Um, Don't say it's changed last week. No. Ironically, <laughs> but it's a well-common rule that the 10% guide is a well-used rule in the industry. But ironically, it actually hasn't been researched. Really? Yeah. And there's minimal research on that sweet spot to scientifically to back this up but anecdotally that yes that 10 to 10 percent is a safe guide as well as consistency so that's the key and
0: that's really interesting that you say that so I wonder if anecdotally one of the reasons why it's helpful is because we can go back and look at how we've been training and we're starting to think about our training even more importantly than the percent it's like if you're looking at your load, what kind of track you're running on, how fast you're running, how far you're running, how much recovery you've had. You're actually spending time thinking about your training plan and that potentially could be where some of the benefits even come from as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. We call it monitoring. So that monitoring of load absolutely has been shown to reduce risk and preventing injury. But also that monitoring of load can help you optimise your performance too. Mm. So keeping Mm. an eye on that and not only just those stats of how fast you ran and how many kilometers you've done, but also encouraging people to notate or monitor how they're feeling, particularly if this is going to be a long-term goal. Is there peaks and troughs within their training diary of when they're feeling flat and when they're feeling well? Because there's no point having your 14K long run day a, you know, on a Saturday, if you know you've got a really busy Friday at work and then you've got drinks with the girls after work, etc. Mm. So it does help you map out your training diary a little bit to allow you to optimize your performance because there are common areas throughout the week or the month where you're just not going to be at your best. Mm.
0: I love that you say that because I recommend to our clients when they come in, have your training plan, get your diary out, And the very first thing I say to him is look at your diary you know, when are your big weekends? When are your big work weeks? When are you, And then we start to fill in when your training sessions are. You don't get a training plan unless you're an elite athlete, but we're talking about zero to five Ks here. So we're talking about just starting out. You look at what your current life situation is. You look at when are your busy points? When are your stressful points? And then you start to layer it with, well, when can I do this training? What day? And actually make that plan. So write it in your diary. You wouldn't miss an appointment with your boss. So don't miss an appointment with yourself, but also it allows Allows you to help to start that tracking and monitoring process.
1: Yeah, and as you said at the start, it's going to set you up to success because I can guarantee you, when that five AM alarm goes off to do your long run after a couple of big days or, as I said, a night out, you're just not going to do it. Mm. Or if you do do it, you're going to hate every minute of it, and then it's just it's it's going to be demotivating. You're not going to want to train anymore or train as effectively, and you're moving in the wrong direction to achieving your goals. Mm.
0: And the other one that we've used in the past, and I'd be curious now that I've said that 10% increase, I'm, I'm curious on your opinion on this, is timesing the amount of time you're out there with how you feel the session went and getting some sort of metrics that you can then add up for load. Because it's very hard when you first start. Like learning what different surfaces mean, learning what different how different runs feel, even understanding when a 6 out of 10 versus an 8 out of 10 versus a 10 out of 10. If you're a beginner yeah. runner, you might not know what a 10 out of 10
1: feels like. Yeah. So um, I guess um, you're referring to the RPE or the rate of perceived exertion. Um, or whether you knew you were referring to that. No, I or am. Not. I am I am definitely referring um, to that. And then timing yeah. it by the workload. Yeah. So in the science world, that is currently our best state of measuring load is doing that, that unit of time. So if you run for half an hour, 30 minutes, and times that by your rate of perceived exertion. And then if you want to get really technical on that, that gives you a number and then you can track that whole number throughout The week, and then you want to gradually build on that number. So, 30 minutes only felt like a five out of 10 effort. You're looking at 300 units, and say you do three runs like that, that's 900 units for the week. You don't want to next week be doing 2,000 units because Mm. that's an over 50% spike in load. So, yeah, that that is another way. In the science world, we call it simply monitoring loads, but I'm sure the way I've explained it didn't sound that simple at all. Well, we, yes, we can using, attach that to the
0: show notes. Yeah. We can attach a, a little table that you can go in and have a look at. It's just a guide. It's really good to make up your own table. Um, Maybe you might go in and add your own words. So when you can just say a few words versus a whole sentence versus have a conversation, but at least there'll be a guide or a framework there that you can print off and have a look at and start your process that way.
1: And that rating can be used for a couple of different things too. So if if you're using a training plan and your trainer or the the plan that you've printed off the Sydney Morning Herald Marathon website or whatever guide that you're using has said an easy run, then you shouldn't be doing a 10 out of 10 run for that easy run. So as I said, the the 30 even though it should only be a 30 minute easy run it doesn't mean you need to cover 5Ks because that's what you did last week in your easy run. You need to go off how you feel. Mm.
0: And I generally encourage people to be about a 6 out of 10 on that easy run. Is that where you would sit it? Yes. But
1: obviously this is all individual and every day is going to be different for every person. So it's a really good scale.
0: And one of the most common mistakes that I do see in runners is that easy run that we're talking about is that they go and run as hard as they can in the amount of time that they're meant to run. I'm yeah. constantly having conversations with people about no, this, when it says easy, you, you actually, it's part of your training load. We're actually got that in there to get the training effect that we're trying to achieve for your outcome. And so understanding that that easy run, you should be able to, generally, the idea is that you can chat for the whole run.
1: Yeah. The other common mistake I've seen new runners do with an easy run is they pick easy terrain. So they say, well, I ran as hard as I could on a flat surface, but yeah, it's that word easy where Mm. where people need to clarify, is it easy effort or is it easy terrain or is it... Both. Yes,
0: exactly. We've discussed a few factors in load. What we haven't discussed yet is how often to run in a week. So sometimes people go out there and they just think, I'm going to run seven days a week for the next month and I'll be able to run 5Ks.
1: Okay, so obviously this is going to be individual to the person, their training background and where they're at in their training program, but if you're a beginner runner, it's not evidence-based, but again, it's accepted with the industry, just avoid back-to-back big training days. So you don't want to be running 8Ks every single day of the week. So I like to do, just tell my clients in particular of, of those new runners is at least have every second day a non-running day, mm. at least,
0: And if you do have a week where you've got a lot on and you have to do two training sessions back to back, you would just Mm -hmm. want to make sure you have a couple of recovery days after that. It's not ideal, but if, you know, if that's what you need to do for your week, that's okay. But just be aware that you're not going to put your two biggest sessions back-to-back back as well.
1: Yeah, and exactly. Have a high load and a low load day back-to-back. Back. So if, if you've got to um, fit in four training sessions within seven days, one of those days is going to be back-to-back. Back. So mm. you could do, you know, your your intermediate run or sprint session one day and then your really easy cruise pace the next day, just almost like a flush to to run it out. But no, you wouldn't have your sprint session one day and then your long run the next day, just depending on your program. Hey,
0: I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group. Just search for Challenges That Change Us on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes, so I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. Where does cross-training fit into this? So we've been talking about load with running. If Mm. someone's just starting out and they've got three runs a week, Can they still be going to the gym on the alternating days? Can they add in some swims or some cycles, foam rolling? Like what do the off days look like?
1: Yeah, so this is where, again, it gets tricky and it's individualized. So if you're talking about strength training and particularly lifting heavier weights and particularly a leg session day, You don't really want to be loading that up again after or before a big running day because you're going to be using those same muscles. Whilst Mm. you're going to be using them differently, it's still load. You're still Mm. applying a force to those tissues. So it's just about training smart. So doing the strength training is going to make you a better runner, but you do need to space it out a little bit so that you're not imposing high forces on those muscles. So you could have an easy run, and still do your strength training the next day and then maybe have an off-legs day the next day. So Mm. you could still swim. But again, going back to that RPE scale we talked about or that perceived effort, if you've had three training days in a row, not necessarily all running days and your body's just saying I've had enough, then listening to your body is just as important as your training program because otherwise you're not really going to get anywhere. You're not going to make those adaptive changes. Your body's struggling to repair and recover, so you're not really actually achieving anything in your training program for you to advance as is so cross training is super important and we also spoke about variability to your tissues and so mixing up those applied forces so i absolutely encourage cross training but it does come down to a bit of balance in your in your run program and that's where working with your trainer like yourself or your physio and just getting that other set of eyes on your program can be really beneficial
0: I was thinking that as you say that, it it is complicated and it is individualized and that's why just printing a program off the internet and just going and doing it, it can sometimes end up a bit disastrous because you may not be thinking about your own personal situations, what your previous training history is, what your previous injuries are, what you've got on at work, what your job is. And I know I, a few years ago I had someone come into the gym and I asked everyone, you know, what sort of training have you done? Where are we at? How fatigued are you feeling? We started the session. And then one of the girls said, oh, my calf is so tight. And I said, oh, what's what's been different? She said, oh, I was down in Sydney and I actually was walking more than what I normally do. My job is sitting at a desk, but I did up to 30,000 steps per day for three days. But it was interesting to see that that hadn't come into her thinking around loading. Exactly, so, yeah. yeah. walking 90,000 steps across three days is an extra load. So when we're talking about this, it's really being mindful of all of your activities, your sleep, your nutrition, your hydration, your mental strain. If you've got assignments or big work projects on as well, thinking of that mental fatigue and then trying to do some maths or some metrics behind the scenes with your training mixing up the track that you're running on, but just making sure that you don't do anything dramatic as well is the other thing that I was getting out of what you were saying, Andy. So consistency is key. Alternating days is better than training back to back if you've got that opportunity to do that, but also not just making any really huge changes. If you haven't done a hill session and you go out for your first hill session, don't go out and run eight hill sprints, 10 out of 10.
1: Yeah, that's That's good.
0: And when we talk about recovery, the research is very mixed. So what are some of the options for people to do if they're having a day off training to help their body recover?
1: Okay. So sleep is, I would say, the number one biggest recovery. So Mm. um, and you know, I might be sounding like that's a luxury or a privilege to some people, but it's your body's ultimate recovery tool. So, if you are serious about your training program, if you are serious about whether it be running a marathon, running 5Ks, losing weight, sleep is essential. And that, and when you were talking about getting your diary out, like figuring out your sleep patterns is just as important. So, again, sleep can be individualized. Some people can function very healthily after six hours. Some people need 10 hours. That's where that kind of eight hour rule generally comes into play. The third of your day, though, like I do understand mm. it's a big time commitment, but that is what's going to give your body the ultimate recovery. That's when physiologically all your recovery is happening. So if you can give your body the sleep it needs or close to it, you're already ahead of the game. So outside of sleep, other recovery that is important is hydration, nutrition. That's what's going to fuel your body and enable you to run or train. And then you've got your other tools like stretching, foam rolling. They're the things that the literature is still very mixed on. So I often say, does it make you feel better? Does it give you that element of recovery? Um, There are people who, you know, muscle flexibility is an impairment. That factors on their performance. So getting some more muscle um, elasticity will help. But, you know, that could also be a strength problem. So I won't go down that track. But, yes, recovery can be foam yeah, rolling, stretching, even a light yoga or Pilates session, just training those muscles differently yeah. in a very light, low-impact way. Even like a, 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 I call it a flat. like a lot of us in the industry will call it a flush, where you're just moving your muscles but at a, at a gentle pace, and that can be even just sitting on a spin bike or just going for a walk. It's still loading, so do be mindful of that. But, again, it's a different type of loading where you're just gently stimulating those muscles.
0: The big thing that I'm hearing throughout this whole podcast is it's quality over quantity. So if if, yes. if they take nothing else away from this, it's really about understanding where you've come from, what you're trying to achieve, getting a snapshot of where you are right now, and what are the steps that you need to take to get to where you're going. But monitoring it along the way. So once you have your plan set in place, that is not a
1: set and forget piece. No, it's not a rigid tool at all because we're all humans, we all have a body, we're all different and we we don't all fit in the same box um, or training program. I think the biggest key to take out of this is just listening to your body and... That sometimes takes a little bit of practice and self awareness too, particularly if you're new to training. So, the difference between delayed muscle soreness from training versus a niggle versus a strain, like that takes a little while of getting used to and figuring out. But that is still, there's still signs of trauma in some extent. Like, delayed muscle soreness is micro trauma. So, if that's extended for long periods of time, then that's a bigger issue. So, it comes down to listening to your body, if you can take anything away, <laughs> mm. is that. And then I just want to reiterate those those themes that you said before where consistency is key. I don't mean consistently running every day for the next month. It's more just sticking to those principles of that 5 or 10% gradual loading each week and listening to your body and then avoiding those back-to-back big training days. So considering alternating your training days into – high medium or light loads or high and low load rest days and just cycle through that period. Or if you need three light days in a row, then again, that's what you need. Listen to your body, do it, you'll feel better for it. And then you can have your big training day because you've had that adequate rest and recovery.
0: Mm, and it's quite complicated. So not comparing yourself to the person that's next
1: door. Absolutely. And this is where social runners and weekend warriors really struggle because, or, or even parents with kids, you just want to get out there and just do it. Or, you, or you're so busy, you've only got 30 minutes, you want to make the absolute most of that time. But unfortunately, that is when you're setting yourself up for the injury or failure because you need to, going to say it again, listen to your body. Yeah,
0: yeah. And the last question that I want to ask you in this space, Andy, is around alarm bells. So what are some of the red flags that if someone out there is like, yes, I have soreness, I don't know whether it's time to go and get checked? At what point would you suggest that someone picks up the phone and speaks to a doctor or a physio or a chiropractor, whoever it is that a support clinical person? What are some of the alarm bells that would suggest that it's time to make the call?
1: Just before we go into alarm bells, that point of what, when is the best time to call your trainer or physio, et cetera, ideally it would be before you embark on this journey. You don't have to see them all the time, even if it's just a one-off to say this is what I want to do, what would you suggest, and even just... Mm. In a perfect world, if, if you can do that, that would be great. And then they can, one, screen you for if you have any particular weaknesses in particular muscle areas that you could concurrently work on whilst you train on this to, um, one, prevent injury but also improve that performance but also give you a bit of guidance because that download off the internet isn't always going to be the best option for you. Mm. It also gives you someone else to be accountable just as a side note. But as far as alarm bells go, so if you're very new to running or training, so if you've just started a training program, it is normal that you will probably be a bit sore the next day and possibly even sore the day after. So if you've just gone for a run, you might feel a bit sore in your calves, your quads, your glutes, your hammies, um, et cetera. If that soreness continues for longer than 48 hours, then that is a sign that perhaps it's not normal muscle loading. Um, So you've either overdone it and done a mild strain um, or your body's not coping with the recovery. So you could give it another, like you don't need to rush off to the physio within 48 hours, give it another day or two. But if it is consistently sore and if it's sore without you actually doing anything, so if you're just sitting there and your calf is sore or it's sore, just going for you know a light walk to the fridge, then that's actually a sign that you need a look at. The
0: other signs, and they might sound obvious, but it's definitely something I see in my work is a crack or a pop, like if you hear something, you probably good indication that you want to get it checked out, especially if there's soreness following.
1: Yeah. As well as those other, those other um, signs like swelling, bruising, pain, things like that, you, you want to check. In saying that, like if your knees pop and crack, just walking downstairs all the time and you've noticed, oh, that happens when you're running, then that's, That's unfortunately there your knees. That's not Mm. a sign of injury. But if it, if it was a pop or a crack followed by a pain and an inability to wait there, for example, then yeah, something's not right there. That, that needs to be checked. That's not just, oh, I went for a run. I'm a bit sore. Unfortunately, you've, you've likely have injured yourself.
0: And the other two that come up is pain at night. So waking up in the middle of the night and having pain. Sometimes I just say to people, that's a bit of a red flag. Let's either keep an eye on it or go in and get it checked.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if if it's pain that's actually waking you, you do need that checked. In the industry, we do call that a a medical red flag. So please go see your doctor, physio, chiro, et cetera, about that particular pain because that's not normal. You know the caveat to that, obviously, is if you went for a big run that day, you wake up to go to the toilet, and then you're you're getting pain on walking. That's chanceller. That's your normal muscle pain. But if it's the pain waking you up, yes, that's a red flag.
0: And the only other one that I was thinking of also that I come across a lot is one-sided pain. Like if you've got a lot of pain on one side, in one glute or one calf, and the other one's not sore at all, that's also starts to get my antennas up thinking is something going on here.
1: Yeah. And and similarly, if you notice that you're training and you can only feel the activation or you can only feel one side working, yes, that would be another indicator that I would want someone to see you.
0: And who would you recommend that people go and see if they're injured? If, if they're sitting here listening to this and they're like oh that's me who would you recommend they go see
1: so if you have absolutely no reference point if you're not someone who ever sees anyone medically um commonly your first point of call is your gp however you don't actually need a gp referral to see a physio or a chiro or an osteo etc for an injury so it might actually save you a little bit of time if you go straight through to that referred source, and I'm not going to get into the politics of one allied health professional versus the other. They all have their unique specialties and traits. And so depending on where you live, it might actually just be a matter of word of mouth referral. Who would you recommend for a hamstring injury versus a foot injury?
0: Or who you can get into is another, you know, yeah, that's, that's also very thing. relevant.
1: Particularly in this current time that we're living in with staff shortages and things like that, it, it might be... who who you can get into and what the wait period is. So if you are walking around with pain, despite your preferred practitioner having a wait list of three weeks, I would strongly encourage you to see someone sooner because you've lost three weeks of rehab and three weeks of training if you're going to wait to see that particular person. Mm.
0: And we've talked a lot about all the things to be aware of and not all the things, some of the things to be aware of and when to get checked out. I also want to add that going out there and starting running from zero to 5Ks is incredible. And if you're thinking about doing that, absolutely. We want to see more people moving for sure. And we want to encourage you to reach the goals, whatever you set for yourself. But we're just recommending that you just take a little bit of time to think about it and set yourself up for success.
1: Absolutely. And well done. It's an awesome achievement and welcome to the bunny world. It's really exciting.
0: <laughs> so jump on the show notes for today and you'll see lots of the goodies that we've been talking about throughout this podcast. And Andy, i like to finish all of our podcasts with who is someone in your world or something that makes you laugh? And I mean belly laugh.
1: I'd have to say my younger brother he's just an absolute clown and I think absence makes the heart grow fonder we don't get to see each other very often but when I do he certainly leaves me with my cup full he's just a nut job basically
0: (laughs) Well thank you Andy I really appreciate your time taking time out of your busy day and this will be the first of many conversations that we have hopefully so thank you Thank you for having me. Enjoy running, everybody. So what did you all think? Let me know if it's nice to have a change of pace and we could do an episode like this every month. Remember, I'm doing these podcasts for you, so your feedback is incredibly valuable to me. Simply pop it in the Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or DM me personally. If you can't tell, Annie and I could talk about running all day. If I'm really super honest with you, when we get on the phone, we nearly always get sidetracked with like something that's happened in the latest research or something we've learned about running that week. I'll also pop up the RPE scale in the show notes, and I'm going to pop some really great running resources up in the guide section on the Facebook group. You probably could even convince me to pop up a zero to 5k running plan if that interests any of you. Okay, legends, have an awesome week and I will see you all next Monday with another episode. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.